Episode eight. Count them. Not one, not two, not three, not four, not five, not six, not seven, not eight. Actually, it is eight. My bad. My bad. <laughs> you know who we are. This is Merv. Y'all know who Bloyd is, and we are the Dogmatic Dudes Podcast. Merv, how we doing? How we feeling this week? Dude, I'm chilling like a villain, bro. For real, for real. It's it's been a pretty good it's been a pretty good week. Not going to complain a whole lot. How about you, my guy? I know that you've been you've been just working your tail off. Absolutely, man. I'm pretty pumped. Uh, got a special guest today. First guest of the podcast. A uh, good friend of mine, Mr. J. Wu. J. Wu, how we doing? Good, good. Doing well. Thank you guys for having me on. Uh, it is an honor to be your first guest on the Dogmatic Dudes. A lot of first and man. foremost, yeah. First and foremost, what do you think about the name? Um, I dig it. Uh, it's it's different. Um, it's original, and you know it doesn't really uh, lend itself to any sort of criticisms that are negative, in my opinion. So, uh, good play on the alliteration, and uh, yeah, it's it's solid. I like I like the foundation you guys have. Take that, cancel culture. Can't come at us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Is that where you guys are going to start today? Name changes. Nah, man, we we're sticking to this. We're we're the dogmatic dudes. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. Well, speaking of name changes, I'm assuming you guys are both. Uh, and Jason, you alluded to it. You guys have been paying attention to the headlines. Uh, I don't think either of you would be surprised uh, to see that the Washington R words are uh, going to uh, change their name. Yeah, man. It's it's been a long time coming for sure, for sure, man. But it's just funny. It, it it wasn't until the the money got fucked with that's when they, they were like oh no this name we got to change it right away oh yeah i mean then you know for dan snyder to finally come around on it um i think i heard that it was like seven years ago he had tweeted all caps you know i'm never going to change the name and you can print that uh so once the bank decided they weren't going to print that money anymore from the sponsors is when it finally took a turn for him to uh to pull that name i i honestly just like speaking from my corner i can't believe well actually i can because the team's so poorly managed and uh you know that's just a testament to who dan snyder is and the organization he's ran but uh i can't believe it takes something like this for you guys to finally figure out you need to change the name when people have been uh, you know, hassling you and tearing you down with the name for years. Um, but, you know, money does speak volumes. And uh, when people decide that they're not going to keep giving you money until you change your name, it kind of puts you in a tough spot. So, uh, I mean, I'm not surprised. And I know people were going back and forth on the whole thing. I, I, I am interested to see what they're going to change the name to. Um, I, I've seen the, the Washington Warriors be uh, at least a leading candidate from, uh, you know, Twitter and ESPN. I don't know if you guys have heard anything different. Um, I think that that sounds right. Um, the Washington Warriors, I think it flows and um, I think it'll work. Uh, the real question to me is like, I don't know how all this works when you change a name as far as like merchandise and like branding. Cause like, don't you have to go back and change all of that, all of your gear, all of your merch that you sell, like everything that's pretty much making you money on the side other than ticket sales. And uh, you know, the players like, that, that's a lot to go back and have to change. But I, I guess, again, you're put in a corner, so you really have no option but to do so. Um, dude, I here's the thing. 
if anything, this is this is going to bring in a lot of money for the for mm-hmm. the Washington football team. Rebrand means means what? Means Huge. a lot of new shit that that people don't have quite yet. You know, those diehard Washington fans, they're going to want to get all the new gear, whether it be, you know, a new, the new jersey, the, a, new, a new T-shirt, a pair of socks, a scarf, you know, sky's the limit for this rebrand. Honestly, I think it's very, very dumb on Dan Snyder's uh, part that he did not think of this earlier because he would have been able to make a lot more money with this if, if he would have done it seven years prior rather than right now. Yeah, I think everybody wins in this situation, really. Um, you know, Dan Snyder gets the cancel culture and the people who are actually offended by this name off of his back for the first time in decades. Uh, you get to sell a bunch of new merch, like Merv alluded to, and then also, uh, you know, a lot of third world countries and things like that are going to get a lot of free donations of all that Redskins gear that's on hand. So, you know, you got to look at it from all of these standpoints that everybody's going to win in this situation. That's a good point. I didn't even think about, you know, all the donations and everything that would come out of that. Cause at the end of the day, if you have some Redskins gear, it's not like you're going to want to hold on to that. Maybe for like a relic, I guess, if you wanted to look back at the past, but I would imagine most of the cases people are just going to throw that stuff out. So might as well be uh, donated and sent to a good spot. That's for sure. How many, you know, long-time diehard Redskins fans are still going to rock Redskin attire to games and out and about and stuff like that moving forward? I mean, it just goes to show your fandom how how long you've been a true fan, you know. Who knows, man? This Redskins team might end up being really, really good in the future, and then you'll have those bandwagon fans that like to join other teams. I mean, it, it I understand on the on the side of like the like the the true fan of the Washington team that I mean that's their team that's their that's their ride or die you know it, it, but at the end of the day it, it it needs we need a name change for those guys it's it's very very insensitive to to the Native American community um, it it's it, it's just outplayed you know. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and that's the thing, like, I mean, I, I, you know, we all have some probably some sort of lineage that traces back to Native American culture. But, you know, being that I am not a Native American uh, descendant in, in my, you know, in my life, it's, it's one of those things where I don't have a judgment on it. And so I choose not to make that ju- judgment. However, I will say that I do actually have a few Redskin fr- friends uh, that are fans of that organization. And just to think about how much they absolutely hate Dan Snyder makes me feel so lucky as a, as a fan of the Chiefs. And I heard that you're a fan of the Broncos. And I know that they've been a longtime well-ran organization. But, you know, you can hate a coach. You can hate a GM. You can dislike your team's quarterback. But think if you hated the owner, like how terrible that would feel as a fan every single year. Exactly. I mean, it's just, it's, it's that situation that you will never ever be able to get out of. I mean, you can always fire a coach, you can fire, you can, you can uh, trade off or release players. It is very, very difficult to get rid of a, an owner. Well, yeah. and we're like, we're a big basketball podcast and I know we've talked about it a lot, Merv, but it's like, imagine being a New York Knicks fans. Like, you, mm, you know, exactly. you have to deal with James Dolan all the time and it's not like, he can just get, you know, booted out. Um, and he's ran that organization into the ground for years now. This is not a new thing, but it's like, I totally agree with you, Jason. It's like, 
imagine having to sit there and be a fan of a team and you're like, yep, nothing's going to change because this shithead's at the top and he's just going to continue making these decisions, uh, you know, for his own being and not for anybody else's, not the teams, not the organization, not the fans. Um, I can't imagine it. So I, I'm definitely very thankful that uh, I'm not, a, you know, I don't have to deal with that day in and day out. And uh, hopefully maybe the name change is uh, just a sign of, uh, you know, Washington moving in the right direction and maybe them actually starting to make changes for the good. Um, obviously mm -hmm. Ron Rivera coming in, uh, I thought that was a good hire. And just like Cam, I, I don't think he was done uh, very nicely by the Panthers. I get they had to make a change. Uh, but Ron Rivera is definitely still a very respected coach around the league, uh, both, you know, from coaches and players. And I, he's definitely got plenty still in the tank. So uh, I'm looking forward to that. So if I were a Washington fan, hold on, your time's coming. Uh, things are looking a little bit better. You know, you just got to have faith and hope that maybe uh, people have gotten a Dan Snyder and he's going to change his ways. Who knows? I will say those two young defensive linemen that they have, uh, they, yeah, they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna start causing some problems here in the next few years for sure. And if Haskins ends up turning out to be uh, you know worth a damn, they can definitely make some noise in that division. No doubt. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean that that team that team can only go as far as the owner lets them. So I feel like hopefully I'm hoping that this uh, kind of this kind of change and this kind of mood puts puts Dan Snyder in a okay, look, if we're going to, if we're going to really commit to this, let's really commit to it. And he, and he opens up his pocketbook and hopefully he gets some good, good players coming into that, into that organization. My other thing that I want to add into the, into the whole, you know, the whole red skin thing, even if you want to keep the, you want to keep the, the, you know, the whole native American trend going on, do it, do it in a, in a, in a, in a tasteful way, like the Kansas city chiefs, you know, nobody's batting an eye at that Kansas, at, at, at Kansas city, having, having the name chief, you know? Yeah. I would say that it's not necessarily for the namesake, but there's definitely been some scrutiny as far as some of the game day traditions and some of the, um, Native American culture. Um, it's been referred to as mockery before, uh, you know, and I, I, for one, I've never like put on a headdress and painted my face and gone to a game before, but I've certainly seen it. Um, you know, there's definitely the, the drum, the chant, the, the tomahawk chop that gets a lot of attention. Uh, people feel like it can be insensitive. Me as a longtime season ticket holder, fan, uh, Chiefs fan, I view it as it's a part of our game day tradition. This isn't us pretending to be Native Americans, and this isn't us um, trying to put any sort of negative attention or mockery towards that group of individuals. Um, but, you know, I, I could, again, I, I could see where – where that could be, you know, construed as such. But, you know, for me, it's, it's banging a drum and it's chanting. Like, it's not, it's not me like, Oh, look at what I'm trying to be like, or what I'm trying to do. That's just a part of who we are as a chief, as a chief's organization. It's what we do. Absolutely. I mean, I grew up, grew up that way. And uh, not to say that things uh, can't and won't change, but I can tell you one thing, it would feel really weird to be at Arrowhead or watching the Chiefs on the TV with, you know, a squad of people and not doing the tomahawk chop, not hearing that, not hearing the drum banging. Um, so not to say that things uh, need to change and not saying that they won't, but um, yeah, it's just, it, it's one of those long living traditions. And when I look at it, I don't see it 
as us trying to pretend or trying to mock. I see it as just something uh, that we've done for a very long time. It's in the roots of the team. And uh, if anything, it brings us all together and, uh, you know, gets you into the game and uh, gets the fans psyched. And I know it gets the players psyched. Um, you could ask anybody on that squad. Um, you hear the tomahawk chop and they're getting goosebumps. They're getting hyped up. They're getting ready to go. So um, I'm glad uh, the Chiefs have not been in the same scrutiny because I don't think they deserve to be. Um, but I get, you know, just kind of the climate that we're in and a lot of the or insensitivity and things going around that, you know, it, this isn't the first time that people have questioned the tomahawk chop and mm -hmm. things like that. But, uh, you know, the world's evolving and things are changing. So, you know, sometimes that, that goes with people's opinions and it's just the way the world works. Well, and I don't think we're going away from it anytime soon. Uh, what was the major uh, renovation or upgrade that was made at the stadium last year, Jake? Do you know? Uh, was it the where the drum is? <laughs> they, the, the drum deck, yes. Yeah. They, they added an entire section within the stadium so that the drum could sit up there and it could be more part of, like, the pregame festivities and things like that. So, yeah, we're not – they're not going away from that anytime soon. I think what would make it easier is if you guys had like an actual Native American tribe, like, like be a part of that whole situation. Cause then that, that just shows that, you know, Hey, we're, we're, we're respecting, we're respecting where this was inspired from. Um, and, and we're not trying to, we're not trying to, like you guys have said, be who, who be something that we're not. Well, that's a great point, Mervin. Honestly, um, from my understanding is that we have worked with several Native American cultures throughout the years because, I mean, being that we're in Kansas City, um, the, you know, the, the, the Midwest and down to Oklahoma and, and areas like that, there's a lot of Native American influence in our, in our region. Um, but there has been a couple of times where they have brought in a Native American chief and he's done a pregame uh, blessing at the, at the games and he's chanting in Native American language. Um, he's burning sage or, or some sort of herbs like on the field before the game. Um, and I've always thought that was really cool too, but the Osage tribe, um, there was there, the, I mean, Shawnee tribe. There's, there's a lot of those sorts of groups that still have um, residents and individuals that are involved and they, they have joined in on some of the chief stuff, but just not that chop, you know, and the Braves do the chop too. And like you were saying earlier, Merv, like nobody looks at the Braves or the chiefs as having um, an offensive title or name. Um, so we are, you know, we are in that regard as being able to continue on with some of those traditions because those, those honor those individuals versus put them down or neglect them. Exactly. And I, I mean, if you're, if you're paying your respect to the, to the, uh, to the group that you're, you're getting your inspiration from, I don't see why it would be a, a bad thing. It, it's only an issue when you start mocking what, their traditions are you know uh the whole you know wearing the headdress not all indians wear headdresses mm -hmm. um also you know doing I, and look i don't know everything that native americans do or don't do but it's it's that situation you know do your research before you do anything speak to the speak to the people that actually have experience in, in that field and see hey are we are is this good for business or not not so, 
while we're on the topic of the Chiefs, uh, Jason, I figured I'd give you the four. Uh, we talked about Patrick Mahomes' contract uh, briefly last week uh, just because we happened to do the pod the same day that that news broke. Uh, I'm curious kind of what your, your take is on the whole situation. I'm sure you probably uh, share a lot of the same sentiments I do, but I figured I'd uh, kind of hear you out. I want to see what you have to say about it. Uh, well, obviously, as a Chiefs fan, and thank you, and Merv, I'm sorry that you have to listen to this because I've heard that this is not a topic that you're probably super happy with, being that you got to deal with Pat Mahomes in the division for another decade plus. It's all good. We got Drew. <laughs> hey, you know what? I am a Drew Locke fan myself. I'm a Missouri guy, so and I actually we'll get uh, yeah, we'll get we'll we'll get to our uh, to our love for Drew here in a in a little bit. But, okay. uh, I'll, I'll I'll let you guys talk about Pat first since he is the half a billion dollar man yeah so you know it's one of those situations where i'll always remember where i was when when we drafted mahomes and then i'll always remember where i was whenever we extended his contract um because you know it's 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 that big of a deal to this team and to this franchise to obviously get a player of his caliber on our team for the first time in our franchise history and then to lock him up for that amount of time. Now I know that restructures happen, and uh, and I've heard that all of the other quarterbacks who've ever signed ten-year contracts actually have never played that full ten years with that team. Um, you know, but it, it at least lets you have some peace of mind knowing one, Pat Mahomes has always said that he loves it here. He's always said that he loves the Chiefs Kingdom and he wants to stay here for a very long time. And so him even just signing that contract just further proves that we are doing something right here. Um, so it, it's not just a reflection of, of who he is, of who he is as a player, but it's a reflection of of our entire franchise and our entire organization from the top down, um, our city, our fans, everything is all a direct impact of his decision to do that. Uh, the money's nice. Honestly, it probably could have been more. Um, and, and I think that that's a big thing too, is that he was going to take a little bit less. I mean, the guy's going to make a billion dollars in his career between endorsement money and career earnings from playing in the NFL. Uh, he's not hurting for money. His family's not hurting for money. Um, you know, he's in a situation now where he doesn't have to think about that kind of stuff. He can just be him. Uh, I hope he stays grounded and level-headed and humble and hungry and all those things that they say that he is and what his teammates think about him. Um, but obviously I, I'm, I'm extremely excited. I'm somewhat relieved. Um, we weren't up against the clock by any means. We had time to get this done. Um, but it just, it gives you that sense of, of calm knowing that it's not looming. Um, you're not going to have to hear about nasty headlines and things like that. Contract disputes. Is Pat Mahomes happy? Is he leaving? What are we going to do? All that kind of stuff. We never even got to that point in this process. So such a huge relief in that regard as well. But no, I appreciate you asking me that question. And I know you guys talked about it last week, but um, yeah, obviously we're super, super thrilled. Um, and the guy deserves it. I mean, just to be in his, <laughs> as a 24 year old MVP, Super Bowl MVP, Super Bowl champion, uh, breaking records left and right. Uh, the guy, the, you know, as, as Michael Jordan said, the, 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 the ceiling is the, what's he, what's he say? The ceiling is the roof, you know, for this guy. So <laughs> you never know. Uh, he, he could break, many 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 more records and hopefully he does so 
Well, and the other yeah. other thing I'll say is like I think it's also a testament to Brett Veach, Andy Reid, and just you know the Chiefs organization as a whole. Um, first of all, for getting him in the door and drafting him because it, it, it you know I was speaking about it last week. It was really looking like for the longest time that we were going to go with Deshaun Watson, which I would have been happy with. I, I like Deshaun Watson. I think he's a great quarterback. Um, but I think it's just a testament that you know they saw him. Uh, up to the draft and they saw him as uh, an elite player and they have spoken about it. They knew that he was going to be something like this. And apparently, or, you know, it's obvious now they saw something that nobody else did because teams skipped over him. Right. Um, but I think it's just a testament to Brett Beach and everybody else in the chiefs organization to saying, okay, we're not going to let this stretch out. We're not going to let these headlines come up. Like you said, Jason, we're not going to let any of this stuff uh, get in the way of what, what we know is true. Patrick Mahomes is the real deal. And we want to keep him here. And I think it's also a true testament to him. He stuck to his word. He did say he wanted to be here for a long time. He said that he appreciated the city, the organization, and signing a, a deal like that. I mean, what what more assurance do you need that he's happy here, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And one more point about Brett Beach, and then we can we can talk about something else. But uh, he said in, in early training camp of 2018, so before Mahomes' MVP season, Brett Veach went on the record and said, Pat Mahomes is the best football player I've ever seen. And he said that before the 50,000, the, the 5,000 yards and the 50 touchdowns and the MVP and the AFC championships and the Super Bowls. Like he, I mean, he has known this to be who Pat is this whole time. And so it almost, it gives you a little bit more trust in, in his, in his evaluations and his decision-making as well um, for him to go on, to go out on a limb and say that before Pat had really even taken the keys to the car yet. Well, and well, here's the thing. Oh, go ahead, Blake. Oh, I was uh, just oh. going to say, uh, before we kind of get moving, I'll let you guys foam at the mouth over Drew Locke because I know it's coming. Um, Jason, I, I alluded to it last week, um, and it, there, there's not any, like, concrete proof out there. Um, so this is kind of me going out on a limb, but – I really do think um, at the end of the day, I think that's why the Chiefs split with John Dorsey. I think um, Brett Beach, because he was kind of the, the person behind uh, putting the, you know, the buzz in Andy Reid's ear about Patrick Mahomes. I think that John Dorsey wanted Baker or somebody else. He didn't want Patrick Mahomes. And Brett Beach kind of put the, the word in everybody's ear like, hey, this is the kid. This is the dude. This is who we need to draft. And I think that John Dorsey was on the opposite side of the fence and everybody else kind of came to agreement that Pat was the guy they were going to get and Dorsey didn't like that. And I think that's kind of what led him out and what kind of led Beach into the position. I, again, I don't think there's any concrete evidence of that. Um, but the more I kind of look at the whole situation, because Dorsey leaving um, when he was starting to build a really good squad was kind of funky, right? Yeah. Um, the, the more I look at it, the more that just seems to be the case, um, unless there was something else that they clearly don't want anybody to know about um, that, that just seems to be what the case was. Oh, I could definitely support that theory, 100%. Yeah, no, I'm just going to add one last thing about Pat, just because you guys have been gushing over Pat since he came in. Um, I remember seeing Pat Mahomes in at Texas Tech, and if you, if, if you have eyes, you could tell that that boy was going to be special. I mean, even in, in, in his college games, his, most of his college games were in the 50s. It was just straight-up shootouts. But it would. But that's the thing that Pat has has always. I feel like has suffered is he's had he he's had he he's the offense. He is the offense. But the other thing is he's the defense as well. 
with with how how much he scores. So. It, it, no, it, it, oh, sorry. Go ahead. It, no, it is it is a true testament on Pat. You know, you can never really count the man out because, like, you know, just ask Houston. They thought they had the game in the bag. Shit, I thought I that that Houston had the game in the bag. I was ready to laugh laugh at Bloyd. I was gonna call him up and I'd be like, Hey, dude, what what's going on with your QB? I would have killed you. Would have killed you. <laughs> I Whoa. swear. Bro, I swear, I, I walked into one household. I walked into one household, and they were down, and then I go back to my house, and they were up by, like, 14. I'm like, that was fast. Yeah, well, I mean, the point about Pat and never really having a defense up until this past year, and, and even then, I mean, it took several weeks for the defense to really click for us. But, uh, you know, he he might not ever have another season like he did his first year as a starter. And to be honest with you, a part of me almost kind of hopes that he doesn't because he had to throw 50 touchdowns and he had to throw 5,000 yards in order for us to go 12-4 and four and get to the AFC Championship because that's how terrible our defense was. I mean, we had so many shootouts that year. We had that Monday night game against the Rams or 54 to 51 or whatever. I mean, just crazy, crazy NFL games that, like you said, he was having to do in tech at Texas tech in the big 12, which is known for a lot of that style of play and things like that. So yeah, I, I, I almost hope that he never has to throw 50, 50 touchdowns again. Yeah, no, I mean, here's, here's the thing, man. I, I don't think like like players like Pat and like Lamar. I feel like you have that one year where you just come out of nowhere, but then as soon as you get a little bit more game tape, that's when you start prepping. And 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 look, let let's just let's just let's just look at it like this. Pat did take a step back, but he is still he was still head shoulders waste better than everybody else so taking a step back isn't necessarily a bad thing because you know pat is pat pat is going to end up being being the being one of the greatest quarterbacks if not the greatest quarterback to ever play the game man how, how did those words taste coming out of your mouth here's the thing dude i don't i i don't hate pat i hate that he's with the chiefs that's which the fair. thing which is fair i i get that i i i i I do not hate Pat Pat Mahomes one bit. I think he is a tremendous talent. Like I said, I I saw him in college and I thought he was going to be something really special, but I thought it was going to take him a little bit. I didn't think that he was going to pop the way that he did, and that's why whenever Bloyd would tell me, "Oh, dude, Pat Mahomes, well, Pat Mahomes, I want to suck his I want to suck his big fucking dick." Um, I was like, "Dude, just fucking chill. Like, chill for a little bit. It's only one season." Let's 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 figure let's figure him out after after we get some tape on him, dude. And he 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 changed my opinion on him just based off of that, dude. You know, how many quarterbacks do we see every year where they have a huge year and then the very next year they just flop and they're never the same person ever again? Dak Prescott. Sorry, Dak Prescott. Dak Prescott. You have Dak Prescott. Carson Wentz even took that step back. Mm-hmm. Uh, Baker Mayfield. I mean, it, it, the, it'd be the interesting list. to see Lamar this year. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But here's the thing: I feel like I feel like the Baltimore Ravens really have that honed in. I think, and and I heard this on a sports radio, and it actually made me think: like, why don't more teams do this? I feel like uh, Coach Harbaugh went up to Lamar and been like, "Hey, what do you feel comfortable running? What do you like to do?" 
Mm-hmm. You know, you see these teams, you see these coaches that are so darn headstrong about their system, their way of play, and they don't necessarily have the weapons or the quarterback to to run that offense. So um, I've been hearing that the Bengals, that's one thing that they've been doing with Joe Burrow, and that's where I see Joe Burrow succeeding is they're sitting down with him, the offensive coordinator sitting down with him and saying, hey, look, what do you feel comfortable running? What do you like to run? What don't you like to run? What are some plays that can work? What plays don't work? Have you looked over the playbook? What are some things you like about it? What's some things that you don't like about it? They're giving him literally the, the keys and saying, hey, how do you want this modified? Well, and I agree with you. I think the other part of it is, and there's a lot of quarterbacks where there's evidence on this, is don't set them up to fail. Like, don't draft this guy and immediately expect him to make an impact. There's always going to be that quarterback that does because that's just the way football works. But you see it time and time again. Draft him. Give him time. Develop him. Let him sit behind somebody and actually figure out how this works because it is a big jump from college to the NFL. Give this guy time. Give him a chance. Don't, you know, don't put him out on the field immediately and let him burn and then blame the whole thing on him like you had no part in it, you know. This is how this works. This is why Pat's worked out real well, not to say he didn't have the ability. Same with Lamar Jackson. Drew Locke's starting to show that. You know, the more you give these times guy to sit or these guys time to sit down and actually study the game and figure out how the NFL works and figure out how the systems work and how to read the field, like you're setting them up for success. And if you draft a guy with the intentions of him being or him being a franchise quarterback, then why wouldn't you be patient? If you know that he's going to be your franchise quarterback, why wouldn't you give him the time of day? Why wouldn't you give him the attention? Why wouldn't you do the right thing with him? Because, you know, you see these guys all the time that are labeled as flops and come out and don't do anything. Well, it's not very fair to them when you, you know, you're the worst team in the league. You have the number one pick. You go draft this guy and you put him out on the field day one. Your team doesn't just improve overnight. You got to give these guys time. You got to develop them. You got to mold them the right way. That's this house works. It's a science. It's not just a, oh, this guy's good. I'm putting him on the field. He's going to make an impact, you know. So I completely agree with that theory, Jake, and, and I'll play devil's advocate here a little bit. What about the pressure that is now put on these NFL teams to win early while you have that franchise quarterback on the rookie contract? Because the salary cap, is you're up against it as soon as you sign your franchise quarterback to that long-term second, second contract. And it immediately makes the stakes so much higher and so much more difficult to build those rosters around that guy to where, you know, you've seen now where teams are starting to fall apart as their quarterbacks get richer and the rest of their roster gets depleted. Um, So I think that it's, there's no perfect science to it. We got extremely lucky here in Kansas city, having Alex Smith in front of Patrick Mahomes for that one year. Um, and then we've obviously thrown him into a roster that had already won a couple division titles in a row. And he's, you know, not making hardly any money by NFL standards, even still to this day. Um, you know, he, he doesn't really even start making money until like 2023 as far as what it goes up against the cap and everything. So, you know, I think that, that it's important to move the guys along in, in the proper manner, but you also, you got to get them in there. You got to start trying to win pretty much right away. That's a good point. Um, And that's, you know, that's definitely something that you have to think about. And I think you alluded to the fact that there are the quarterbacks that get the big money and then you start to see things go down. And I think kind of how Pat played this and he's spoken on this and, you know, 
Tom's always succeeded with taking less money because he figured out that if I take the most that I'm actually, if I take what I'm valued at, at the end of the day, like, you know, my stats can be good. I can have a good career, but if I want to win championships and build a dynasty and be successful and be regarded as the goat, like I'm going to have to take a cut somewhere. I'm going to have to make this work. So I think there, there's really, and like you said, and like I said, there, there is a science to it and there's a lot of moving parts. Um, but I think it's important for these guys once they get good, not immediately to go for, you know, I, I get it. You're, you're an athlete and you're putting your body at risk every day. So you want to take uh, what you're worth and you want to get as most, you know, the most money you can uh, while you're healthy and while you're playing. But I think if you look at it more of, okay, if I can cut off a couple million dollars here, a couple million dollars there, um, this may get us to the Super Bowl. This may get us to, you know, the AFC NFC championship. Um, so it, it's a lot of moving parts. I just think, a lot of organizations look at this the wrong way um, and just try to get uh, try to get this person in so quick and uh, expect change to just happen overnight. And that's just, that's not how it works. You know, it's not basketball. It's, you know, you have a huge squad, everybody plays a part, everybody plays an impact. Um, and at the end of the day, I just think that each party has to look at this the right way and uh, kind of figure out what's actually going to make this work in the long run. But I do agree that the rookie contract really is a thing. You've got to get the value out of them while you can. Um, yeah, but to pay, to kind of piggyback off of you, Bloyd, um, that's how, what separates the, the mediocre franchises to the best ones. You know, you, you're always, even if you are in a down year, it's not by very long. You're always constantly thinking about the future. You're always thinking about these moving pieces. You're always trying to figure out, Hey, what is the best way to get this, this taken care of? Um, yeah, we're going to struggle for two years, but hey, we see that there's a there there's a, a player here that can change our our franchise in a couple seasons. You know, that's another that's another thing. You need to have a really really good front office that knows what the fuck they're doing, that they have the experience, and they have that that they they have everything everything uh, all their all their loose loose knots tied. You know. That's how you. That's why you see some of these teams like, like, let, let me let me just like you know Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh is is coming on the down, but you're you're never gonna count Pittsburgh out because they're they all they're always really really good. I mean Baltimore, Baltimore again, Baltimore. They had they had a a, a couple down years, but guess what? They're back in the playoff picture. When have we ever looked at a, a team like Baltimore and and not think of them as a as a playoff team? Right, and the the Packers are a great example of that too. Um, you know, Drew Brees, he's he's made a ton of money in his life. His teams are always relevant. Tom Brady, Peyton Manning's teams were always relevant. Like, and these are the guys that are all like in the top ten career earnings for NFL contracts. But it's funny because if you look at the list of the top ten highest paid players ever, and now Pat Mahomes is going to be on this list. But if you exclude him, once you get past Ben Roethlisberger at number six. You have Matt Ryan, you have Philip Rivers, and you have Matthew Stafford. And, you know, those three guys really kind of embody that, like, they all got a lot of money and they never delivered for their franchise. They never delivered for their team. Exactly. And I mean, like in situations like that, even you can never say that Philip Rivers never had a good squad. I feel like every year Philip mm -hmm. Rivers had a, an adequate, adequate team. Same with Matt. Matt Ryan, it, it's a it's a weird situation. He should he should have a Super Bowl MVP if it wasn't for the play calling. 
That's a good point. And, I mean, he's at least been one to one. Too. Yeah, and, exactly. And, and Matt Stafford, it's not his. It's not his fault that he plays for the for the Lions, man. That Lions. I've, I've only become relevant and good because of Stafford. And even when Stafford was there and when he was young, they were still dog shit. Mm-hmm. Well, you got to remember, like, they, they drafted him after they didn't win a single game. And he came in and immediately made an impact. And, again, I know it's rare that it doesn't happen every day. But when you are that piss poor of a franchise and you're coming off an 0-16 season, like, of course you're going to give that guy money the second you see, you know, production on the field. Of course you're going to give that guy money. I'm not saying you don't yeah. give those guys what they're worth. It's just like at the end of the day, you do have to look at it as, okay, can I do, should I take the biggest bag I can get? Or should I look at this more of, okay, if I cut here and there, what can we get out of that? And that's yeah, but I you also, it's good from great. Yeah. But you also have to look at your, like, again, you have to look at your franchise. If you're, if you're Matt's like, for example, if you're Matt Stafford, Megatron just retired. They're really not giving you high-profile weapons. They're not really focusing on you. Of course, you're going to take the biggest bag because guess what? They're not going to give me. They're not going to give me weapons. So why the heck should I give them less? Why should I uh, sign for less if they're not going to give me give me what I need? That's a good yeah. point. Trust has a lot to do with that. Yeah, trusting in your organization for sure. And uh, you know, it's like with Tom Brady. You know, everyone's, oh, well, Tom Brady took so many team-friendly deals and everything like that. Like, he was still getting paid. Like, he was still – he's still, what, number three, number four, and now with this Tampa Bay contract, he's probably, like, in the top uh, two or three all time. And the thing is, is that he just would always convert his money into signing bonuses. Oh, here's 10 million bucks. Here's 12 million. Here's 15 million. Here's, you know, it's all it's all prorated money. It's all money that doesn't count a ton against the cap and all that stuff. Like, but he was still getting his money, but he had faith in the organization that they were going to, you know, do what was right and they were going to get him the players around him. Up until this past year, you know, he they always found a way. They always plugged in some guy that was always coming through for him. Yeah, no, I I completely agree with you, man. And 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 see that's that's the thing about the Pats too, man. They 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 take they take the little the little nuggets that nobody really pays attention to and they turn that shit into a fucking oil rig, you know? <laughs> yep. Like it's it, it and everybody fucking gets pissed off about it because guess what? Everybody wishes that their franchise was run like the Pats. You can you can say you can say whatever you want. You can say that you hate the Pats and all this other stuff, but like I told Bloyd a couple weeks back, if you had the 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 Pit, or not the Pittsburgh, but the New England Patriots uh, front office. I bet you you would be you would be happy with that. You would take that any day of the week. Well, how could you not? How could you not? I mean, there there's no arguing that. Um, and that's why like we have Pat now, so I'm not worried. But that's why like when the Patriots got Cam Newton, I was like, a fucking course. Like you know, they got Antonio Brown last year. I was like, this is fuck. You know, this always fucking happens. They they sneak in there. They get somebody they have no business getting. Um, and it's like you know, the Patriots probably aren't going to win the Super Bowl this year with Cam Newton. Um, but that, that does make a huge impact. And I'm sure Buffalo was feeling high and mighty before the Patriots got Cam Newton. Now they're like, oh, shit. Like, maybe not. Maybe maybe we got some work to do. You know, they were probably thinking they could coast through it because nobody knew about this Jared Stidham kid. Not to say that he wasn't going to be good. Who knew? Nobody knows. But now that they got Cam Newton, everybody's like, God damn it. Like, History does repeat itself to some extent when you have a front office that knows what they're doing. This is what happens. 
<sighs> yeah, the Patriots, I mean, when you think about a model of consistency, so I'm a little bit older than you young bucks, but, you know, when – when they won their first Super Bowl with Brady in, what was it, 2002, I mean, I was just coming out of my uh, sixth grade year, you know, and now here I am 31 years old, and you just think about, like, what if your team had a quarterback for that long and he was successful every single year that he played? Like, that, that is a situation, obviously, now that hopefully Jake and I are, are in as, as Chiefs fans. But, like, you just when – you, when you even try to just think about the, the run that they just went on, it's just – it's so amazing and unbelievable that if anybody ever even touches it, it's, it's going to be remarkable. I honestly don't think that there will ever be another dynasty like the New England Patriots. How could there I, be? It, 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 it's just there's so much shit that went their way in all of the in, in, in their run that it'll be almost physically impossible to redo something like that. Well, and again, they like not to, and you you pointed it out like there so many things went their way, um, and they they always found a diamond in the rough. They obviously had Randy Moss and some other great players, but like, dude, nobody knew Wes Welker was going to be amazing. No one knew Julian Edelman was going to step up to the plate and be productive as hell. Like nobody knew a lot of these things were going to happen. Look at James White. Like James White was a super low draft pick. Nobody thought high of him. And that guy's a problem for anybody. I mean, that guy's a huge problem. They always seem to find the player that nobody else is talking about. Nobody's looking at. And it just speaks to the organization. They bring that guy in. They mold him the right way, and he's productive, and, you know, he's a secret weapon. Like, it happens year after year. And so I don't think it's a crazy statement to say that nobody's going to touch that because at the end of the day, I, I can't even fathom, like, even in the situation the Chiefs are in, I can't even fathom us touching that or sniffing that. Like, if we did, I'd probably pass out. Like, that's just a crazy – that's a crazy conversation to have, and that's just a testament to the Patriots. I hate them as a Chiefs fan, definitely hate them, but, I mean – you can't deny greatness when it's right in front of your face. There's no doubt. And I think the thing that's frustrating about them too, as a non-Patriots fan, is that, yeah, they, they find those diamonds in the rough, Jake, but they also just make the obvious move. Like sure. the obvious move is to, for them to go get Cam Newton. Two years ago, the obvious uh, move was to go sign James Harrison off the street. You know, it's like they even gave Antonio Brown a freaking contract last year. Like you – you just go do it like and other teams for some reason, including the chiefs, including the Broncos, like avoid making those kind of signings until this past year. And then the chiefs go and get Terrell Suggs. And it was like, finally, finally <laughs> we go out and we make the obvious choice. Like this guy's cleared waivers. This guy's a free agent. Go freaking sign him. He's cheap. He's a veteran. He's got championship experience. Why not bring him in? Why, why not? Like, and it, it would drive, it drives me mad when the chiefs and other teams just let these players fall to the Patriots year in, year out, where it's just like, are you guys just giving this thing to Belichick? Like what the heck is going on? Here's the thing is I think the reason why, why situations like that happen is because Bill Belichick does gives literally zero fucks what anybody thinks. Same with Robert Kraft. Both those guys are like, dude, I'm, I'm signing Antonio Brown. He's out there. We can get him for cheap. So what if he has something against him? He ain't, he ain't kicked out of the league right now. Let's sign right. him. 
You know, they are they are not afraid to ruffle a few feathers if that means if that that's what it takes to win. And you know what? I applaud the Patriots for doing for doing stuff like that because you know they're going to do the they're going to make those tough decisions that aren't going to be the most popular. But if at the end of the day you get the chip, all sins are forgiven. Yeah, and it's like, why are all these teams so afraid of media and what's, what's what, what are these people going to think and all that stuff? It's like, you're a billion-dollar organization. Just go out there and win. Like, like exactly. That's all they care about. And when you have the resume to back it up, it makes it that much easier to make those kind of calls and those decisions. Yeah, man. But we can talk about the Patriots and Pat Mahomes till we're blue in the face. But That's guess true. what? I bleed orange, baby, and I finally got a Mizzou guy over here. So let's talk about him. I want to go out on a limb here because I don't know if Jason listened to the episode. I know listeners have heard our episode about our quarterback rankings. I want to get out in front of this. I had Drew Locke ranked higher than Merv did. I just want to get out in front of this and say that. So put that out there. Yeah, okay. Well, here's what I told Bloyd when, when we were going through our rankings. I love Drew Locke. I love all of the rawness that I'm seeing from him. The raw talent, you can see it. Like, I, like I'm not saying well, like he is Pat, like Pat Mahomes, but when you look at him and his talent, if you just look at the tape, he has that raw talent that, you know, all you have to do is make a couple of adjustments and, and, and kind of change his brain a little bit because everything else is there. He has the arm. He has the footwork. You know, all we need to do is just get 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 to to his head for him to make the right decisions. Because I wouldn't want any I, as far as if if I had to build a, build a quarterback and I couldn't have Pat Mahomes, I would probably build one like Drew Locke. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I'll tell you some of the things that I really like about Drew. Um, one, I've been following Drew Locke since he was in high school. I live, I was in Lee Summit at one point in time. So, and my wife and all of her family all went to Lee Summit High School. Um, we're somewhat friends of the family. We go to his dad's restaurants all the time. So I, I've known about him for a very long time. I did get to see him play in high school. I was obviously a Missouri Tiger fan. The thing, the things that I love about Drew are he has always made it look as if he was never, uh, he's never in a hurry. Um, he looks very laid back. He, he has a good approach to uh, each play and each, and in times, even when he was at Mizzou, it would frustrate me to the point where I'm like, does he even look like he cares about what's going on right now? Cause he just looks so lax and laid back behind, you know, in the pocket, um, you know? And so sometimes I think that that, could also be a little bit of a curse. Like he will throw some errant passes because he's not really, uh, he, he needs to speed it up almost, you know what I'm saying? So, um, but no, I think that what the Broncos have done uh, with their approach to their wide receiver core, um, putting the talent around him, uh, he's, he's going to grind it out. He's going to study his butt off. He's going to get himself uh, mentally ready because he obviously already has those physical physical traits like you were talking about. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm rooting for the kid. When, as soon as Denver drafted him, my heart sank because I was like, I'm going to have to root against Drew Locke for however many years now, and that really sucks. Um, but, you know, until – 
he comes and knocks off the big bad chiefs um i it's okay for me to root for him so i don't it doesn't really bother me like being like hey like good for drew he threw for 350 today and had three touchdowns but you know what like they're four and four and ten right now so it doesn't really matter well here's my thing like you like uh when i i was i was really pissed that the broncos got him because i i knew that Whoever got him was getting a steal in the draft. I knew that, um, especially for how low he went. I was like, man, this guy is going to be a steal. Um, and when the Broncos got him, I was like, fuck, of course. Because, you know, I'd watched plenty of college tape on him. I knew who he was. I knew he was good. Um, so I was pissed that the Broncos got him. But, I mean, last year, the second they put him on the field, um, I was I was really rooting for the kid. And, obviously, it you know, as a Chiefs fan, when he came to Kansas City and had that clunker in the snow, like, that wasn't all on him. Um, mm-hmm. but obviously it, it was still tough to see. It was, it was, it was a fun game because we just absolutely, uh, reaped havoc on the Broncos, but, um, it was still tough for me. Cause I was like, man, I really see like a lot of good things in this kid. And like, I know he's going to have a good career. Uh, and I think people were getting him the short end of the stick after that game. They're like, who is this guy? Why did the Broncos draft this guy? And I was like, you're not giving the kid time. You're not giving the kid credit. Like it was snowing. The Broncos were not destined to have a good year. Things weren't going their way. Like you knew they weren't going to be a good team, but it was a good time to get him out there. I mean, nobody could watch Joe Flacco any longer. And I'm like, you have this kid, Drew Locke, sitting on the bench. Just put him in. I promise he'll make an impact. And the Broncos had some sneaky wins at the end of the season last year. And he definitely so- showed some flashes in the pan. Like, I know he's going to have a good good career. I know he's going to, you know, it, hopefully it's a lengthy career. Um, but there, there's a lot of good tangibles and intangibles with him. Um, and I wish him nothing but the best. Um, and like you said, Jason, I, I have no problem rooting for him um, unless it's against the Chiefs. Uh, it really doesn't bother me. And, uh, you know, when you see good talent like that, you have to, you have to recognize it. And uh, I know that he's going to be good for a long time to come. Yeah, man. Well, it, it's it's one of those things, man. That you know, I here's the thing. I I don't expect Drew Locke to be Pat Mahomes equal, but I want to have that that rivalry where you know it can be anybody's game. You know, I don't care if the score is always thirty twenty seven, or we lose by a touchdown. As long as we make it competitive and and, and Drew Locke is 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 out there balling and, and, and just stunting on fools, I'm happy. You know, because at the end of the day, yes, we do have arguably the greatest quarterback to ever play the game, and you can never count out a team that has that. Um, the thing that I feel like that the Broncos have that the Chiefs don't necessarily have, they have a better all-around team where, you know, it the, the offense is still a question mark, so we'll discuss it at the end of, at the end of the season once everything is all said and done. But you can't say that the Broncos have a shysty or a suspect defense. Absolutely not. That's never been the case for, you know, I mean, pretty much this decade and maybe longer um, if you look back at it. But especially this decade, you can never look at the Broncos defense. Uh, We alluded to the Ravens always being in the playoff picture. Um, The Ravens have always had the model for consistent defense and aggressive defense. And I think the Broncos, especially this decade, have taken that same model um, and really put it out on the field. And it's worked really well for them. I mean, you know, no offense to Peyton, but that defense won them a Super Bowl. That wasn't absolutely that and anybody. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely, dude. And, and, and everybody and their mother will, will, will all, even Peyton will, 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 will admit that that Super Bowl was not because of him. It was because of that defense and the beast that Von Miller is, you know, um, what, was, what was Drew Locke's record uh, as a starter last year? He was four and five, 
four and that's five. That's not bad, man. That's not bad for a rookie campaign, especially when you're yeah. going into after how bad Joe Flacco was. When you know, honestly, I don't know how anybody expected Joe Flacco to do anything. Here's um, here's the thing about Joe. Joe, he can be good still if he has a good line. We just didn't have the line for Joe. For sure. Um, our our line looks more like like something for Drew because he, he can use his legs, you know. All all the left side really needs to do and our left tackle, which is one of the biggest question marks in in on our team is our left tackle. Um it 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 just goes to show you, dude. Um Garrett Bowles was leading the league in, in holding calls when Joe Flacco was his quarterback. And and then I think he took he I think he took two or three holding calls while he was while he was uh while Drew Locke was was on the on the on the field. So that just kind of goes to show you like it it it, it your line also has to be be a, a good system fit for for your team as well, you know. You can't have you can't have a a a just in the pocket passer with with the offensive line that we had. I think Drew Locke ha- being being a little bit mobile, being able to use his legs a little bit better, definitely makes the line look a lot, lot better. Well, and I think that's why, like, you know, we talked about Pat, but that's why I feel so good uh, with Pat is because the Chiefs have had a pretty consistent and good offensive line since he's been here. Um, and that does – you made a really good point. That really does make a difference um, at the end of the day. Um, and when you don't have an offensive line – um, and you have an older quarterback, how do you expect that to work? Um, even with a younger quarterback, if he's getting hit all the time, like Deshaun Watson was down in Houston, like how do you or expect Baker. that to work? Yeah, or, exactly. or Baker. Look at Baker right now, dude. People are already writing Baker off, but look at his offensive line. Look at look at how he plays, dude. He he basically was, was, was running for his life 70, 80% of the time he was, he was, he was uh, under center. Well, speaking of the AFC West and quarterbacks and lines, what do you what do you guys think about this Herbert kid with the Chargers? Because the Chargers, uh, I mean, they definitely there's no argument they have the pieces on the defensive side of the ball, and they have Keenan Allen, who's a beast. But what, and what do you Eckler, guys think about don't this situation? don't don't, That's true. don't sleep That's true. on Eckler. That's true. Yeah. So from my opinion, first of all, it's extremely hard to be unbiased. Um, you know, when, when Merv said that he felt like the Broncos had a better all around team than the chiefs. I mean, my, my skin just crawled and crumbled. Uh, considering Jason, let me stop you there real quick. Let me ask you one question and one question only. Would okay. you rather have the Denver Broncos defense or the Kansas City Chiefs defense? Okay. Are, you talking to pick? Are you talking present time? No, like, okay, let's, let's just say that the Chiefs did not win the Super Bowl. You have, you have, you get to pick the Chiefs, uh, the Chiefs defense or the Broncos defense. Who are you taking? Well, that's a big I mean, what if. Like, that's yeah. a big what if. If we didn't win the Super Bowl, like, if you're just talking right now circumstances, I'd probably take the Chiefs. I'm just saying. And that, that's like, I'm putting bias aside. I mean, and honestly, Merv, what I'm thinking, I'm trying to compartmentalize it. So, like, if you look at the defensive line, okay, you guys obviously have Chubb and Von Miller and those Jarell two guys. Casey. And those guys are all studs, okay. The Chiefs have Chris Jones. We have Frank Clark. Like, we made some major, major strides in the right directions up front last year. In the secondary, you have the Honey Badger. Our cornerbacks really, really showed up. They're not really big-name guys. Like, you Our might – you probably – yeah, you probably have an advantage 
advantage in the secondary. Uh, linebacker crew, I honestly couldn't name one linebacker on the Broncos, but I bet you guys uh, would probably have the advantage. Bradley there. Chubb, Von Miller are, are, are well, our I, left and right linebackers. I count them as defensive line. So when I when I mentioned kind of the upfront guys, like your front seven is probably more solid than the Chiefs as far as name recognition and uh, overall performance throughout the last few years. But like when you just – like, I mean – Matt Moore came into that game and we still won 30 to six. Now I know a lot of that was because of like nine sacks against the quarterback and everything like that. So your offense didn't do you guys any favors at all in that game. But, you know, again, and and this isn't supposed to be argumentative, but I'm just from a standpoint of we haven't lost since 2015 to the Broncos and Pat Mahomes has not been our quarterback since 2015. Like, yeah, but you guys had Alex Smith. I mean, it, 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 like, you guys have Peyton to think Manning. about it too. No, we didn't. Not Did in those all those years. Not in all. We had Peyton Manning on his last leg. Come on now. That's like saying, oh, we beat Joe Montana when like the year that he retired. No, like you, you, you can't like that. Like if you if look, I will agree with you if you guys were able to be a prime Peyton Manning. But let's just let's just face facts. When Peyton Manning was at his at his peak with the Broncos, nobody was touching that team. Nobody except for the yet. Seahawks. You guys haven't beat Pat Mahomes yet. So, like, see how your argument's just, like, going back to the other side. If you're going to make that hey, argument I mean, with Peyton, I'll make that argument with Pat. I right? mean, I'm not I'm not going to argue it at all, dude. Pat Mahomes is literally my, my – my, the problem that I see every Sunday whenever I see the Chiefs. He is literally the issue. I don't see – I don't see any issues with anybody else. Yeah, Tyreek, yes, I, I, like he is a problem. Uh, Kelsey's a problem too. But those guys would not be the names that they are right now without without uh, Pat Mahomes at, at, at quarterback. What are you talking about? Kelsey uh, and Hill were still great with Alex Smith. Yeah, Kelsey was still but, fucking putting up yeah, numbers on the boards, man. Yeah, but you, are you trying to tell me that Kelsey would have hit would have would have hit his stride the way that he did without Pat? Same with same with Tyreek Hill. You think Tyreek Hill would be the Tyreek Hill that he is right now if he had, let's say, Alex Smith at his, as his quarterback still? Look, I don't want to have this debate all night. I will just say that Kelsey already had 2,000-yard seasons under his belt with Alex Smith, and Hill literally made he was his an name up-and-comer. with Alex Smith. So. Yeah, don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. He was an up-and-comer. I, I, I took Kelsey early on in fantasy in his early years, dude, and he got me buckets of points, buckets of points. But I'm just saying, the that team, those players really heightened their abilities more because of who? Because of Pat Mahomes. I'm just saying, your guys' quarterback fixes a multitude of sins on both sides of the both sides of the of the field. I mean, I don't, I don't disagree with you at all on that statement. <clears throat> I do think that it's shortchanging Kelsey and Hill a little bit. I mean, Kelsey's been in the league now for like eight year, eight, eight seasons, and Tyreek's got four years. So he's only had two with Pat and same with Travis, and they both had great production before Pat Mahomes came around. And, yeah, obviously Pat Mahomes is going to elevate every single part of our team and all of the players around him. Um, but, you know, I think that, again, the, the ultimate – you know, telltale sign. It's just the fact that when you, you, we finally put together this defense and all of a sudden we immediately win the Super Bowl because of Pat Mahomes still. You get what I'm saying? Like the defense finally stepped up, but they're not the reason why we won the Super Bowl. It's because yeah, of Pat Mahomes. 
Yeah, your guys' defense did the bare minimum of what they needed to do in order for Pat to 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 not completely have to carry the team on his back. Exactly. Exactly. So like they, my... they're the they're the kids at the project, you know, that do the like the bare minimum, you know, they 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 they, they put the PowerPoint together and say that they did something but they didn't do any of the fucking research. It me. So back to my original question, what what do you guys see with this this Herbert Charger situation because like I said the Chargers it's not like and it this has been a really really confusing team for me because the past couple of years it's not like they were a scrub team. It's not like they were a scrub team that had they had, you know, game changers all over the map. Um and they just couldn't get the job done. Um they lost a lot of close games, but I, I'm very interested to see how this Herbert situation works out. I think he's got uh, some talent to him, but I'm just curious of what you guys see, especially both being uh, AFC West uh, team fans. I'm just curious of how you see, because look, like we're not going to give the Raiders the time of day. I'm not giving the Raiders the time of day. You still have Derek Carr. You're still holding on to that. He's not good. So I'm not giving them the time of day, but Chargers, different conversation, potentially. I, I see Herbert as a kind of in the mix with uh with Jared Goff and and Sam Darnold for right now. I just kind of feel like he has that kind of vibe to me. I don't know why. Who knows? This 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 kid can can truly be a great, but I just feel like he's going to be one of those middle of the road quarterbacks that get the job done, but you know, it's not going to be it's not going to be something like he's not going to be like the person that you need to plan for every week in and week out. Yeah, no, those those are great comps that you made there, Merv. I hadn't really thought about it that way either. But I would say, again, when it comes to the AFC West in particular, you know, between the Chiefs and the Broncos, that's really the two-horse race that I see moving forward until the Chargers prove me wrong. Um, I think that just as an organization, yeah, they obviously have talent, but there's just something that they are lacking, and they have been lacking since they became – an NFL football team for the most part since like the nineties when, when the last time they were even, you know, really flirting with championships Um, being that Herbert was in the PAC 12. I think that's another sign that it's really kind of hard to grade him on. Um, I myself don't watch a ton of PAC 12 football. Didn't get to see him a whole lot. Um, He, you know, this year's quarterback class was kind of uh, all over the board as far as who was going to take who and where they were going to go. Um, I think that the Chargers probably wanted Tua. But, you know, I, I honestly, it's a situation where um, it's a wait and see for me. He doesn't move the needle in any direction, whether that be for the better or for the worse immediate impact um, personally. And I know that's not uh, a definitive answer and I'm not trying to dance around it, but I just I just don't I don't have a, a formulated opinion right now on where he's going to take the Chargers. So what do you think? I mentioned the Raiders with their situation because it, it's clear like Gruden and Mayock have not made bad moves as far as their past two drafts. I've actually think they've drafted very solidly. They've gotten a lot of, I mean, Josh Jacobs was phenomenal and uh, that was, he was a, a super underrated pick. He was definitely uh, undervalued to some degree. Um, but like how much longer are they going to give Derek Carr the time of day before they realize like, that he's not the, not the dude like, and people can say, Oh, well, they got Mariota in the off season as a free agent. And, you know, that the Titans didn't want him. It was clear. The Titans were better without him. It's clear. Mariota is not the long-term solution. Like how much longer do they let this charade go on before they figure out Derek Carr is not the real deal. They have to know it by now. Right. They'll this season, They're going to, yeah. they're going to move on this season. They're probably more. It, it would shock me if they weren't one of the lower teams. I think they're tanking for Trevor. 
I'm sure. Yeah. They're one of the team. They're one of the teams in the in the Trevor Lawrence sweepstakes. And then pair him with Rugs. Yeah, that'll be Ooh, nice. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. that but, team. That team does need a quarterback because they do have very, very good pieces. I mean, they have Waller as, as their tight end, which is a very good serviceable uh, tight end. I he, he he was terrific last year. Serviceable is underrating him, in my opinion. He was- yeah, he's serviceable at, at the bare minimum. Same with – I mean, Josh Jacobs, man. I mean, he, he is a beast. And the fact of the matter is that he doesn't have very much – many miles on him that's another plus for him because he doesn't Dude, have all that wear and tear that some of these big time backs have, you know, you know, we, Todd Gurley was one of the top backs in the, in, in the NCAA. And he was really good in, in the NFL for a little bit, but his career was so short. Why? Because he was a highly utilized running back. It, 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 we see this situation happen over and over and over again, where these backs that have, that are, are literally bell cow workhorse backs for, for their college teams. They, they, they take a dip. I feel like the only player that hasn't, that I haven't seen a whole lot of wear and tear on him. And that's probably because he, he, he's really new is, is Saquon. Well, and I think it, like, it goes back. We were talking about earlier, like rookie contracts. And this goes back to like the age old question, like, you really like, do you pay running backs as much as they think they're worth? Because I think a lot of these running backs, uh, you can really make a definitive argument that you're getting the bulk value of those first four or five years. Um, Absolutely. Like Todd Gurley, the second they paid him money, he had that one good year, two years ago. He had that, there was his first year of his contract that gave him the money and he set the league on fire. Todd Gurley was like, I mean, he was the number one fantasy player. Like everybody was talking about Todd Gurley he was amazing. There was no doubt about that. But like, then you see the second you give him that contract the year after, like he immediately breaks down, has injury problems. And I mean, I'm not going to give, you know, I'm not going to bad mouth him. He's with a new team now. Maybe things are going to be different, but it really does like beg the question, like how much are running backs worth? Because you really do get the bulk value out of that rookie contract. And I completely agree with you on that, on that uh, statement. Um, usually, usually running backs are, are, are good for, for like those f- first few years of their rookie contract, even the, 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 the initial years of their, of their big contract that they get after their, their rookie deals. But at, right after that, man, it is very, very hard to keep that level of consistency. I mean, there is so many outliers out there, like, like Adrian Peterson is one of the few that I can think of that, you know, was a consistently great running back year in year out up until, you know, now, now age is, is, is more of an issue with him, but how many running backs can you name off that have been really, really good past their big contract? I can't really name a bunch. Not, not in today's football, not in today's game. Well, no. that's sort of like, I think like the running back now, um, I think if you want to be relevant and stay relevant and have good production and still make decent change, I think the now, like the model, uh, new era running back, you should model to be somebody like Mark Ingram because that guy's or got McCaffrey. Yeah. McCaffrey. McCaffrey just got paid. So again, it goes back to the, I mean, McCaffrey's obviously showing no signs of slowing down. So uh, he's an outlier in that situation. But if you're a running back, you should kind of strive to be like Mark Ingram because he's made a pretty good career for himself. Um, he's been productive. He's been consistent. Um, he hasn't made the, you know, the biggest bag, um, but he's been a game changer on every team he's been with. And I think he's been kind of the model of consistency at running back. He's pretty durable. It's not hurt very much. 
Um, he's not utilized to the fullest. He's not constantly uh, heavily leaned on um, as far as like Todd Gurley situation. Um, I'll be very interested to see what happens with Saquon because the Giants are kind of a dumpster fire. Um, and I, I think Saquon is legit as they come. Um, I just, I wonder if they're going to wait to pay him until things start going their way, or if they're just going to decide to give him the bag early and then things just continue to not go their way because they're in cap hell. Like, I don't know how that situation is going to work out. And it's, it's almost the same with McCaffrey because I mean, the Panthers have a young team, new coach, um, and McCaffrey is undeniably great. There's no question about it, but they just gave him a very, very large bag. Um, and with how much that team uses him, like I'm just very curious to see how that goes. I think that every year in this modern day of NFL, there's going to be the Saquon, there's going to be the CMCs, there's going to be these running backs that come through, Ezekiel Elliott, Todd Gurley, where – it's almost as if having one of those elite running backs is putting your franchise in a really difficult position to be in because you know, they're good. You know that their shelf life probably isn't going to be that, that sustained and they're going to want a ton of money. And so then they get unhappy. And so it really, it's, it's a really slippery slope. And especially so what they're saying is, you know, those top five, top 10 draft picks on a running back, like those are just going to start going out the window. People are going to stop dra- – teams are going to stop drafting running backs that high so that they don't have to worry about this sorts of paydays and things like that that these running backs are going to want down the road. Well, and this begs the question, what do you do with Derrick Henry? Like what do the Titans do with that situation? Like what do you – like he, he's obviously – I mean, I would say if you're just talking about running back because Chris McCaffrey is – like – yeah, he's, he plays running back, but he adds so much more. But if you're talking pure running back, like Derrick Henry is the best running back in the league, if you're talking pure running back, what do you do with that? He carried that team, not to say Tannehill and others didn't have a part in it, but in the playoffs specifically, he carried that fucking team on his back. I mean, workhorse. And you're talking about like wearing the tread down on the tires, but he was the reason that they were relevant last year up until they played the Chiefs and lost that game. Like, what do you do with Derrick Henry? Do you pay him the money? Do you suffer that? Because they just gave Tannehill the bag. So they just gave him a good amount of money for a good while. So like, what do you do? Do you give Derrick Henry what he's technically worth on the market? Um, do you think he's willing to take less? Like that, that seems to be a very confusing situation, I think, um, for both sides. It's but a he, tough situation. Uh, I'm sorry to intervene, Jason. But it, it's, just, it's just a tough, it's just a tough situation, dude, because, you know, back in the early 2000s, um, I feel like running backs were a little bit more scarce. So that's why they were they were valued so high because, you know, you couldn't get a running back that, that did the stuff that, you know, LT did or even Marshall uh, Falk, uh, Adrian Peterson back in, the, back, in, back in his early days, you know. I feel like nowadays the running back, the running back is, is a little bit more disposable. Um, I don't know if that's necessarily a hot take or not, but you no, just look at it. You just look at it, man. You you think, oh man, we just lost we just lost our our star running back. What are we going to do? Nope, it's next in line. You know, it, it, it these running backs are honing their skills. They're starting to realize, hey, this is starting to become a pass first or, or a pass heavy league. Um, I need to I need to up my game. This is why you're seeing like Alvin Kamara's the Christian McCaffrey's, those guys, the guys that are dual threats, those guys are the ones that are, that are starting to get, get looked at. And, and, and when scouts are looking at their running backs, they're looking at, Hey, can this dude catch from the backfield? 
why do you think that's, the Chiefs got Clyde Edwards-Hilaire? Because they knew that he was capable oh, of doing that from the LSU. Exactly. Wave. That's why they got him. Like, that was exactly, exactly. why they got him. Exactly. And here's the thing, too, dude. I mean, you guys had a mon- a beast in, in Kareem Hunt. Obviously, situations happened, you know. But at the end of the day, you guys had serviceable running backs. It wasn't like you guys – yes, there was there was parts of, of, of Kareem's game that, that were missed. But at the end of the day – was was he really was he really missed all that much? You guys still won a shit ton of games. Hell, you guys won the Super Bowl, and and Williams was a huge factor in that Super Bowl in that Super Bowl win. You know, and he wasn't a he's not a household name or anything. Well, and in the playoffs last year, he was an impact. And like, actually, I think you made a really good point. And you didn't quite say it, but the more I look at the Kareem Hunt situation, like, yeah, it really sucked at the time to lose him, uh, especially with how horrific that defense was. It was like. We just lost a big piece of our offense, but I actually think now with the way things are shaping up, it was kind of a blessing in disguise, Jason. I don't know if you agree with me because we actually saved a lot of money. We would have had to pay that guy. I mean, if he would have stayed on the career path that he was on his rookie year with the Chiefs and had two or three back-to-back seasons of, you know, 1,500 yards, which I don't think he would have in this offense, but even 1,000 yards with, we'll say, 12 touchdowns, I think that those are super super achievable numbers for a guy like Kareem Hunt in this system that we're in. Yeah, we would have probably been moving on from him within the next year or two. I don't think we would have been able to assign him. And, you know, the NFL tells you running backs are worth $10 million a year. That's pretty much what the the premium elite running backs are worth. So if you're giving a guy like Todd Gurley, you know, 16 to $20 million a year, like that's going to hurt. Like that's not going to help your team uh, over the long run because the franchise tag says that they're worth 10 and a half million. You look at, you were talking about Derrick Henry. You look at a guy like him. Well, Chris Jones is also due the franchise tag and that's 16 and a half million dollars for his, for his position where Derrick Henry's is only 10 and a half million dollars. So if you're Derrick Henry, you're like, yeah, Chris Jones, he's good. He's a game wrecker. But why is that guy making $6 million more than I am when I'm literally carrying an entire team when I'm literally like the entire offense for this? Like there's something there's, there's just a really tough spot to be in right now to be a running back in today's modern age, especially if you're a Derrick Henry or Ezekiel Elliott, which I mean, he's, he's decent out of the backfield, but he's more of a a grounded pound type running back. Like those guys aren't, aren't really going to have much of a a position in the NFL moving forward because they're probably going to be playing linebacker or something. Yeah, no. And I completely agree with you. One good example of of that whole situation is Melvin Gordon, you know, Mm -hmm. the year before he, the year before, even the seasons before he, uh, he, he decided to, to sit out, sit out for, for contract negotiations. You know, he was having a really good year. He was doing really, really well. And guess what happened? The chargers were like, you know what? Sit out. We don't give a shit. And and then, uh, yeah, Eckler, Eckler does the exact same job as as Melvin Gordon, but he, in my opinion, he's faster at it and he's a better receiver out of the backfield than Melvin Gordon. So, so I can see why, why, why the chargers are like, wait, you want all this money, but we, we got a guy that can do your job that can perform just as good, if not better why are you asking for all this money and see now look look at him he's on a three hey i'm happy about it we got melvin gordon on a three-year deal for like 
pennies on the dollar, essentially. Well, and that's like why, like, you know, people can argue all they want to. And I get that, like, this guy fell to a team that is notorious for not exactly building up the greatest franchise. But, like, Le'Veon Bell did not win that argument. He got his money, but, I mean, he was entirely irrelevant last year. And, again, that wasn't all his fault. I won't put it all on him. But, like, he didn't prove the point that he was trying to prove. Yeah, sure, he got his bag. But at the end of the day, his whole point was, like, you know what, if you guys are going to use us, we're worth this money. We're such an impact on the game. But at the end of the day, like, were you really? Like, because now you're getting paid all this money. And again, I know it wasn't entirely your fault that you sucked last year. You didn't have a great offensive line, but like, you didn't exactly help yourself there, you know? Well, yeah. I mean, and even Ezekiel went through this last year where he, he was holding out for a little bit at the beginning of training camp. And, you know, Jerry Jones is like, well, we got Tony Pollard. And, like, you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> like the owner comes out and, like, says, you know, we've got some no-name running back that, you know what, like, but he's played pretty well. And uh, we think that, you know, he might have a chance to, to do something in the future for us. <laughs> Like it, it, it is, it's, it's, it's tough, man. I, I would hate to be an NFL running back, uh, you know, after that rookie deal, not knowing what your future looks like. So um, we could probably sit here and talk about this all day. Uh, but before we kind of split and uh, finish conversation here, I'm, I'm curious on both your guys' thoughts, uh, Jason, I know you and I had a brief discussion before we started this. Um I don't know about you guys, but I am getting increasingly pessimistic about fall sports, uh, specifically at the collegiate level. Not necessarily, uh, Jason, I know you and I talked, uh, the NFL has a lot of leverage as far as like, they can kind of sit back right now and kind of watch how the NBA goes, how the MLS goes, how the MLB goes. Um, But I think collegiate sports are in big, big trouble. I think we're at a really good uh, we're, we have a really good chance of not having college football or even college basketball for that matter next year. Um, I don't, I don't know what you guys think about that, but I would say on a scale of one to 10, I'm at about a seven and a half or eight right now. And I think as the weeks tick on here, we get into August that that's going up further. I'll let you go, Jason. I'll let you take your take. What? And then I'll follow. <laughs> All right. So here, here's my, my spiel on college sports is, is the, the threat of the unknown is what's making this these decisions very difficult because when I say what's the unknown, what what's the number got to be for where America's at for daily cases? What's America got to be at for the amount of total deaths that are coming in on a weekly basis? Like, where do those numbers need to be in order for us to feel comfortable for not just our college athletes, but for fans, for, for everybody on those universities to be in a position where they feel comfortable to be a part of that. And so because of that, I don't believe that there's going, I I do believe that there's going to be a resemblance of a season. Um, I think it'll be delayed. I think it'll be shortened. I think that the locations are going to be manipulated such as like what baseball's doing and, and, you know, what football's probably going to do. I think there's going to be capacity limits. There's going to be a lot of different looking things. There's not going to be a college football playoff. There's not going to be, you know, this big hurrah, this huge buzz behind, you know, college game day at different locations every week and that sort of stuff. And so it, it, it is going to, 
it's going to be a little bit of a bummer, but I think that ultimately football is going to win because it's football. And it is odd knowing that all these different conferences kind of get to make their own rules. And what really has proven here to me personally over these last couple of weeks is that the NCAA is just so messed up and they don't make these calls. It's the commissioners of these leagues that make these calls because if the NCAA wanted to come out and say, all right, this is what we're doing. Well, then everybody else would fall in line, but the NCAA NCAA is not coming out and making any decisions for anybody. So it's kind of just like, okay, well, yeah, you got to leave it in the hands of these commissioners and these athletic directors and all these different people at at these other levels to make the decisions for what's going to happen. And so because of the unknown, I don't, I don't think that there's going to be a full season, but I do think there's going to be some sort of football being played. Yeah, no, I'm uh, I'm going to I'm going to put it in like like this way. I think that major sports are are going to are going to 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 play out. The sports that that people don't necessarily pay all that much attention to, you know, unfortunately like soccer uh even maybe even baseball, you know, those 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 sports that that you know, you you have these kids coming in for for those for those scholarships. Maybe those scholarships won't be available for the kids. For the for for the kids, I feel like this is going to be 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 rough because I can see where where these teams like let's say K State they say yes, um, we're still going to have volleyball, uh, volleyball, basketball, and, and football still going, but all the other sports they're going to be clubbed. You're going to have to pay us to play. We're not paying you. You're going to have to pay us to play. So that a that that saves that saves the the universities a little bit of money. Well, look at the Pac-12. They just did that. They just did yeah. that. They cut eleven sports, or I think it was was it Stanford. Stanford cut eleven sports out of their like program for the fall. So I, I yeah. think you're on the right I mean, track there. It, it it's it, it's it's very it, it's it's kind of a, a, a really weird situation because yeah, it's going to be good for the major sports. You know, those televised sports that people pay attention to the people that tune in, tune in week in and week out to watch. I think those sports will be fine. They're granted. They're going to have uh, their, their attendance a little bit down, but guess what? Everybody has a TV. Everybody has a, everybody has either a, a, a tablet or, or a smartphone. You're going to be able to watch that game online if you can't if you can't watch watch it watch it live granted yes I, I i people want to have that live atmosphere and what have you but at the end of the day if you either get a if you have a choice of no sports or watching it through a through a screen which one are you going to take especially people that love playing or watch love watching sports i will watch paint dry if it if it if, it, if there's some sort of competition around it I just I, I feel like the, the like I said the major sports yeah they're going to to they're going to have to move a couple pieces to make it work but I don't see why it would be that much of a big issue it looks like they it looks like the like all of these uh all these conferences are starting to come up with their idea you know we're only playing in conference we're only we're only doing all this other stuff but at the end of the day, you know, maybe some of these ideas, they turn into permanent ideas that are better for the game. So, I mean, it, look, if we have to suck it up and have have to watch sports through a screen or through limited avenues just for a little bit while this, this goes down, hey, so be it, you know. But at the end of the day, 
as far as I know, and hopefully this is just me being, hopefully this isn't just me being optimistic. This is all going to go away at some point. We're going to all get everything back to normal and everything will be okay. Let's just yeah, wait I and see. So. Let's just figure out what, 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 what to do. You know, these, these people, yeah, they make boneheaded decisions, but they're not fully stupid. They're going, they're, they're all, they'll get something figured out. I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm putting all of my trust that the professionals, though some of them are idiots, not all of them are, and hopefully they can bring out a product that, you know, yes, it's not the same, but, you know, it works. I mean, just think about all of the mouths that have to feed off of sports money. And, you know, you can start at the universities and all the people that they pay and all the money that the athletic programs make for the schools. And it's really mostly just football and basketball. And then you move on to the dozens and dozens of TV networks that you could just start naming off right off the top of your head. I mean, there's Fox, there's CBS, there's NBC, there's ESPN, there's Fox Sports 1, Fox Sports 2, all the ESPNs, like all of these, all of these channels that cover all of those games already. Like they're like, hold on, we, we need that money. We need those ratings. We need to have these sports on our, on our channels like now. So when you talk about who's paying who and where follow the money, like the money's going to lead you to the answer. It's just like what just happened with, with the Washington football team. When the money dries up, that's when the decision was made. And we're kind of in the same situation. Where's the money going? Where's it going to end up? And that's going to be your answer. Yeah. No, it's that. Yep. That's exactly it. And, and look, I, I, I see, I see the argument that some of these parents make for their kids. Well, why, why does this sport get, get, get to get to have scholarships and these, well, because these sports bring it, bring us revenue. A lot of the money that these universities get, yes, is through tuition, but what is their second, their second breadwinner? It's, it's their, it's their athletic programs. It's those big, big time programs, you know, yeah, Oregon. Yeah, Oregon's a great school, but at the end of the day, what brings what brings them the most revenue besides tuition? Nike sports. <laughs> Nike. Yeah, that, yeah probably wasn't, Nike, yeah, that probably wasn't the best example. But okay, like let, let's say Alabama. You know? Oh yeah, we're talking hundred, hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars, just off Oklahoma. Of Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. You know, like these Clemson. these big these powerhouse teams. They depend. They depend probably more on on, on athletic programs than they do tuition. One hundred ten percent. I don't think that's so. A, a secret. I think so. I think these major schools are going to do everything in their power to make sure that at least their basketball program and their football program, their big money makers, are going to are going to 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 start off delayed at the at the at the worst at the at the very worst it'll be delayed. I agree. I think you guys both make good points. Um, Jason, before we get out of here, I didn't brief you on this before, but uh, we do a little thing at the end of each episode. We do album of the week. Um, And so this is what Merv and I, uh, we kind of go back and forth and what we think everybody out there should listen to and what's been kind of popping in our music libraries uh, lately. So uh, I won't put you on the spot, Merv. What's your album of the week? What are you going with? All right. Since I wasn't able to make him my album of the week last week because obviously i'm going to pick jay-z and kanye west over him but 
This is still a great album. West Side Gun's Pray for Paris. I know a whole lot of people don't listen to West Side Gun or don't know who West Side Gun is. He, him and his group Griselda, they're a very old school mixed with new school type of uh, rap group. They, they're very boom bappy when it comes to their, to their beats, but you can tell that they have some of that, this new school trap kind of influence as well. I just love all their projects. They always put out heat. If you're looking for a, a group of people to constantly listen to, these guys are it because they're put, they are pumping out albums like nothing. Okay. I know you and I've been going back and forth on the, the whole Griselda thing. So I agree with you. That stuff is heat. Um, especially since I like that old school vibe. So I would definitely agree with you. Um, I know I, I go time. I have a whole playlist just a Griselda stuff. So um, I'm right there with you on that. What do you got, bro? Um, I got DiCaprio 2, uh, J.I.D. Ooh. That's, that's, Ooh. that's uh, a good pick. Yeah, I love slaps. that. Oh, man. Got to put on the slaps. Uh, if you don't know who J.I.D. is, uh, he's going to be J. Cole's right-hand man here before too long, if he not already is. Um, signed by Dreamville, uh, and the guy's got bars. The guy's got heat, and this album brings a whole bunch of it. He's got J. Cole, ASAP Ferg. Method Man, Joey Badass, Six Lack. I mean, features are... It's black, days. you dip. <laughs> it's not Six Lack. <laughs> it's not Slick Six Lack, you fuck. It's black. I don't care if it's black. It looks like Six Lack. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, but he literally is. has said, he literally has said, my name is Black, not Six Lack. So say it right or don't say it at all. Jesus, you're getting feisty over there. My God. My God. All right. All right. Am, I, am, I, am I up? You're up. Yeah, you're up, bro. All right. So 2015, a, a rapper by the name of Lil Wayne uh, was in a heavy uh, contractual dispute with a guy named Birdman. And I'm sure you guys know about this. But anyways, so 2015 <laughs> – who is this Lil Wayne? Who is this little Wayne that you speak of? Uh, so anyways, Dwayne Carter, no, Lil Wayne, he uh, put out an album in 2015 called FWA, the Free Weezy album. And it was on Spotify for about 72 hours before it got taken down because of con some contract stuff with Birdman. Well, he has reworked it and re-released it. And it came out last Friday. And it's got a couple of songs on there that I recognize from when it was out in 2015 because I was like, wow, this, this is awesome. This is like Lil Wayne to a T. This isn't like Carter five Lil Wayne. This is like 2010 Lil Wayne. So uh, the FWA album just came back out on Friday. I was super, super thrilled when I saw that that came out and it slaps. There's a song called London roads in particular that I love. I saw that come out. I haven't listened to the whole thing, but I did listen to the London Roads, and I would agree with you. That song does slap, and it very much does sound like old Lil Wayne. So I, I'm going to have to listen to the rest of it. But I didn't realize that he had put that out on Spotify for a few days. I knew that they had that whole thing going on, but I didn't realize it was on there for a few days before it got taken down. Yeah, it was, it, it was, and it was like so sad because I remember I got in my car one day and I was like, oh, I can't wait to put on London Roads. And it wasn't there. And I was like, what happened? <laughs> like, where did it go? This has been my jam for like the last few days. And then it was just gone, gone forever. But now it's back. It's back. Hopefully here to stay this time. 
Yeah. So, well, hey guys, uh, I really appreciate y'all having me on. Uh, it was fun. I hope I proved, uh, that, uh, I'd love to chop it up with you anytime you want me to have me on. So it doesn't, you know, whatever, whenever you're looking for a third guy, let me know and, uh, I'll try to make some time for it. You guys got got a great thing going on here. Good luck to both of you. Uh, if there's ever anything that I can do to help you out, let me know. Well, yeah, since man. you came on once, uh, now anytime we hit you up, you're obligated to come on. That's the rule. So, yeah, Re- yeah, recurring you, guest. Yep, yep. The, I, I, I was surprised when Bloy told me, "Hey, man, I want to bring, I want to bring this dude named Jason." I'm like, Jason, that already doesn't sound like somebody I want to fuck with, man. <laughs> but no, nah, man, you, you, you definitely proved your worth, man. I, I would love to have you back on the show. You definitely made it. What we what we always like to do, me and Bloyd always talk about, look, we want this podcast to be a conversational piece. We don't want this to be, you know, uh, oh, we have this, so much time to talk about this. We have so much time to talk about this. We have so, no, we want this to sound natural, to sound, you know, like like a group of guys are just hanging out and, you know, just chopping it up. And you definitely did that, man. And I appreciate you coming on. I'd like Floyd said, I, I, yeah, I shared the sentiment, man. Whenever you, we, we call on to you, we expect you to be here. You bet. You bet. And uh, I will say that you guys have done a great job as far as approaching it that way. And, and I feel like you've accomplished that well. Um, my first, you know, when I listened to the first episode and Jake had sent it over to me, I let him know right away, like, you guys got good chemistry. So keep that up and uh, keep keep working hard. And if you want to take this somewhere, I think you guys got some got some potential. And well, with that, with that, uh, we'll leave you all until next week. Um, let us know what uh, you thought of the episode, what you thought of uh, J. Lou uh, making his guest appearance, and uh, we'll talk to you all next week.